0: All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mix Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. This is episode number 132. It's also the first episode of 2017. And in honor of that 132, we give a shout-out to McCall Zerboni, who is the league leader in NWSL for fouls committed over four seasons. Zerboni won the 2016 NWSL Championship with the Western New York Flash. And hey, she also won the 2011 WPS Championship with the Western New York Flash. So new year, new guests for the podcast, two new voices to listen to today. First, I spoke with J.J. Duke from Our Game Magazine. J.J.'s covered several of the previous drafts, covers a lot of women's college soccer. So we talked about the mechanics of the draft, who we thought think is going to take whom kind of in the first round it's it's still kind of early Um, you know we don't have the final official list of who's declared and I'm sure there's going to be some movement over the next 10 days, but it was great talking to JJ and he's got some coverage coming up soon on ourgamemag.com. And then I spoke to Allison Lee, a fairly new WOSO reporter who's been writing for once a Metro as well as equalizer She does a lot of great NCAA women's soccer coverage. So we talked about players that she felt had really made a name for themselves this season and, and have really increased the value of their stock going into this draft. right, Jen Cooper, The Keeper here with JJ Duke, editor from Our Game Magazine, also contributor for the WOSU Zone Women's Soccer Podcast, Um, one of my favorite podcasts other than my own, of course. Um, JJ, thanks for, for being available today to talk about the big draft coming up for NWSL.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Pleasure to be here with you.
0: And you've been at most of the NWSL drafts, Yes.
1: Everyone except for the first one, which then again, who knows if there was actually a media there, because what I was told that um, anybody that wasn't with a team was in a different room. So I'm not even going to count that one. So I'm saying that I've been to every draft so far and will be out in L.A. Uh, very soon.
0: So, you know, this offseason hasn't been quite as busy as, as the last offseason. Of course, you know, no expansion draft, no no big trades. We've seen We've seen some trades. Um, we've still got, you know, about 10 days before the draft, so we, we could see some movements, but right now in in the first round, we've got three teams that don't have a pick at all, Orlando, Houston, Portland. We've got Boston with three picks, um, Sky Blue with two and Western New York with two. I think everybody else is one. Um, but we could still see some changes to that, you know, um, you never know what's going to happen with uh, Mark Parsons and, and, and Portland, and of course, you know Seattle could come in and, and and take some more picks. But at this point, about ten days out, what are your what are your general thoughts about that first round?
1: Well, you know it's going to be interesting. I think for a lot of people, they are projecting that. You know, this is going to be a very striker laden pool. I mean, I was going through the numbers just seeing, you know, what this draft is going to be like. You know, there was 27 All Americans, whether that was the first, second, or third team that are seniors. 19 of those, as of looking right now, are going to be draft eligible. Also, one division two, four time first team All American is going to be in there as well. So this is a super deep pool. Um, But then when I thought about a little bit further, looking at some of the teams that are going to be in their early, forwards aren't the main priority within the first four, five, six picks, especially when you look at it with the breakers. They've got pick one and three right now. Um, They had one of the shakiest defenses in total in the league last season, so they're going to be looking more for shoring up in the back. Um, You obviously have Western New York. Now, you never talk about the flash without talking about attack. So they're going to be in there looking for more power up front. But I think defense might win the day early. And then through the middle portion of the draft, that's where you're going to see the depth of all these strikers that have come out of college.
0: And, of course, there's always the challenge of how well these players can adapt to, to, to the pro game. I always like to look back. At you know the previous year's draft and, and beyond, and see okay you know who from the first round, you know is is still contributing, and and what's amazing is to look back at last year's first round, and it's they they were all pretty solid.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's starting to get a little better each and every year, you know. Um, you know, you look at the draft from last year. Obviously, you have defender Emily Sonnet that goes one. Raquel Rodriguez is a do-it-all central midfielder at two. Kristen Westfall, Carson Pigott, Carrie Ricaro. Um, followed that, and they're all defensive minded players, but they all, as you said, they contributed in some facet of the game. Um, you know, that's something that you look towards, not only just from one year, but year two, year three, past that. And what's going to be your return on investment um, in terms of going about the draft? And obviously, when you look at teams who have had success in the draft, uh, all things point to the Red Stars. You know, you have Rory Dames, who's been openly saying that he. Not to say lives and dies by the draft, but that is the way that he goes about in building his roster. Of the 20 players that are on that team, right now more than half of them were selected by the Red Stars outright. And then a couple other players, obviously most notably Steph McCaffrey, who was then you know traded around and ended up going to Boston for a couple of seasons. But you have all these players that were drafted by Chicago. They have a later first-round pick, but... You never know. Those are the teams that have really done well on this day. But then some teams, they go about it and they say, well, we'll try and succeed in the first round. Then if we get what we get later on, if we don't, then we know that we could always pick up someone overseas or someone through a tryout process or a trade. So, yeah, these days are always very intriguing. But, you know, obviously, if you're looking for success from the draft, you go to Chicago.
0: Well, and I remember last year, it seemed like the last round was almost completely Chicago with like a little bit of Washington spirit. And, you know, I I think Rory has a a pretty solid game plan where it's like, well, here's my chance to grab the rights of more players. And he would focus on the players that are from the greater Chicago area. So it's like, well, they're more likely to be in market. It's not a big, it's not a big move for them. They're like, sure, maybe, you know, I'll, I'll give it a shot. But it's still so impressive to me. When you look at the, the history for Chicago Red Stars, you know, with like Jen Hoy and Sofia Huerta and Daniel Colaprica, all, all of those that came through the draft and have been solid contributors almost from the beginning, you know, with, with their time with the Red Stars and are just still there contributing. It's, it's like because it's so unlike, I think, how almost every other team has been built.
1: And that's the beauty of it. I mean, Rory Dames has a very extensive network, you know, whether it was back in his, you know, and still coaching uh, youth soccer with Eclipse or whether he just has good conversations uh, with collegiate coaches and really wants to pick their brain and get, you know, those quality players. I mean, even we're talking about picking brains of coaches. How about his own players? I mean, Julie Johnson was on his team, you know, year two of the league, and all Julie Johnson was ever talking about is you got to draft Sofia Huerta. You have to draft Sofia Huerta. Right. I played with her in college, and then here Sofia Huerta is, who's had some, you know, stretches, obviously some quiet times, but also some very strong periods as well. So I think when, when you can say to, you know, your front office, look, I don't want to go out and make – you know, signings of international players who could end up not translating over very well to the American game. I want to go out and get these young, still a little raw at times, some players that need a little bit of work to improve their game, but you could just see how they blossom. And I think it's they're just needing that one bounce to go their way in the playoffs. And then this is going to be a team that's going to be winning championships, and they've done it by the draft.
0: I know, and when you look at Chicago's roster, they have no internationals. No Canadian allocations, just those three U.S. allocations of Alyssa Nair, Julie Johnston, you know, and, and Kristen Press. It's, it, it, it's impressive.
1: Yeah, it is, and I think, you know, every team, as you said, they like to go about their business different. Obviously, we have coaches that are a little newer into the process. You know, one's going to look at Matt Beard this year with Boston. They have nearly double-digit picks in right. this draft. <laughs> and— but and, they time, and they need them. And they need them. But at the same time, he's gone out, and I think he's done a very good job in the offseason of picking up players that can help. Um, they're not going to be those superstar players that you're going to be like, okay, well, we're going to rely on an Emily Hove, um from Norway who's going to come in and do the job. Rosie White is another very solid midfielder who worked with Matt Beard, you know, very briefly in Liverpool. But still at that same time, you could say these are the pieces to the puzzle. Do they get that final piece from the draft? I don't know. I think I'm hearing that there still could be a few moves that could be made up in Boston. But still, you know, that Matt Beard, this is going to be his first real draft where he's had the time to go through. Look at the process. And a lot of eyes are going to be to the breakers this year.
0: And he talked about that, um, you know, towards the end of the season that, you know, that he just it took him so long to get here. You know, he kind of missed last fall that he lost that opportunity to, you know, really talk to a lot of college coaches and see a lot of the college games. So I, I think this will be a significantly different draft for him. And I also think the trades they've made, you know, pulling in Alicia Chapman, Megan Oyster, you know, obviously they've got the eye on de- on defense. It'll be interesting to see if they are able to re-sign Whitney Engen, you know, since she's no longer uh, an allocated player, you know, she's got to choose if she's going to stay or if there's, or if there is a better opportunity for her, you know, in, in Europe. But uh, you, you can see the pieces slowly falling together. Um, and, and that's why I, I think um, Boston is is the question mark I'm most interested in for 2017.
1: Yeah, it's all about the process for him. And I spoke with him about halfway through last year, kind of seeing of how he's acclimating, and also just talking in general about this connection that he has bringing players that he used to work with over with Liverpool in the WSL and how they've translated. He says that he wants to, not to say bring that similar mentality that they had overseas when they were winning titles and getting into the Champions League, but he wants to bring players in that can really work with his system. Now, you know, did we really see a definition of what that's going to be this past year? No, because they finished dead bottom. It, It was not to say painful at times, but you know, I have a lot of respect for the organization. I think that they're going to be making the right moves, and you know it, it helps there's a lot of good college soccer played up in you know the new England area you know, he's got a good network out there, obviously also you have the Breakers College Academy team that plays in the w p s l right. so he get he gets to see the best of New England players basically on a weekly basis during the summer, so There's a lot of good looks for him. There's there's a few targets that I think out there that he will be making, but obviously at the same time, he's also got pick number one, and that's the one that's most scrutinized.
0: And I I think it would just throw a dagger in the heart of every Big Breakers fan if they trade that away. I can't see them trading that away.
1: I don't see them trading away either. Look, logically, this pick screams out one name and one name only. Um, However... We're still not sure if she's going to be playing in the league or not. Uh, I mean, as of what we've known right now, Morgan Andrews hasn't said, I'm going to play in the NWSL. A lot of signs have pointed to say that she will be. Mm-hmm. Reason why that I say this, this pick screams out. She's a local kid, you know, mm-hmm. right over the border of New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. She is a talented player in the midfield, has one of the best minds, that I saw in the college game. And you know, bringing a little bit of an anecdote here, Janet, I had an opportunity to see her play back in the old, uh, the one year WPSL elite. when And she was playing for new England mutiny as God, a teenager before she went to college playing against the Western New York flash um, in a regular season game. And I saw her torch, Alex Salen, Tori Huster, Megan Klingenberg, in succession on multiple occasions and then slot a pair of goals past Brittany Cameron, including one where she turned around way outside the edge of the left side of the box and curl it to the far post. And I'm like, this kid, we already know that she's special, but she is going to be somebody. And we already know that she's somebody. Now, hopefully we just get to see her there and especially back home in Boston.
0: Yeah. And we should have a list, um, you know, today, tomorrow released from the league of who's registered at this point, but it's important to keep in mind that players can register as late as the day before, you know, so I'm sure there's people that are trying to decide what to do. And I'm sure this is, this is the phrase that, uh, that we use with Allison Lee is like that. Some players see the league as their safety school. Yes. You know, so it's like, Hey, it doesn't cost you anything to register for the draft. Doesn't hurt. Um, You know, at least you're in there because if you don't register for the draft and you're just coming out of college, you can't join the league later.
1: That's correct. Now, if you do obviously register and you don't get picked, well, then you can go to all these, you know, preseason training camps or the open invites or right. the uh, open tryouts if you will obviously we've seen success stories throughout the league where players have gone through these open tryouts and not only do they become you know they get into preseason camps but they get offered contracts or they get amateur contracts um or amateur call-ups i should say during the middle of the season so there's definitely room out there but you're right if you've have any notion of thinking, well, you know, if I'm not going to get selected o- or uh, signed a contract overseas somewhere, you have to go to the draft because then if you don't, you basically have just wasted an entire year. And there's not many places that you can go during the summer because remember, now with England uh, switching from the, uh, the summer season to a, a traditional FIFA calendar season, there aren't too many leagues out there that play a March to October schedule. Right. So that's some that, right. that you have to keep in mind, yeah.
0: Well, let's talk about um, one of the other teams that that is in kind of a rebuilding phase. I'm not sure if that's really the right r- word for it, but you know, Washington Spirit. We've seen a lot of departures, and, and I do need to mention I, I left them off the list when I said the people that didn't have a first round pick. Washington Spirit does not have a, a first round pick. Yeah, their um,
1: first is 19th.
0: Yeah, So. If you're Washington, are you trying to do some trades to get those higher picks, or are you just looking elsewhere?
1: You know, I think it's going to be one of those things where you use your second-round pick because there's a lot of talent that's out there, but I'm definitely seeing them perhaps packaging their 29th and 36th. Those are their two other picks, and then trying to move up into early to mid-third round or to try and get a player out of it, but don't get me wrong, they're going to be taking somebody on draft day. It's just a real big question of where are they going to go. They've they've had a pretty tumultuous offseason. There's no right. doubt about it. Everybody knows, um, you know, Ali Krieger getting traded, really, and this is my my take on it. Really, for nothing. They they didn't get a whole lot back. In that trade. Obviously, they've gotten some players in from other trades elsewhere. Uh, they've got Christy Mewis in from Boston. They got Havana Salon, who I think is a real strong player, and she's gonna excel playing for Jim Guebaro. And Cassie Coleman too. So they've got a few players coming in that are gonna help. They still have a lot of pieces to go, but yeah, they're gonna have to make some things happen. And unfortunately, as you and I kind of joked about earlier and prior to going on the air, Mark Parsons is in Portland. When he was with Washington, he was known for working a room. Now Jim Guevara is going to have to do that.
0: <laughs> it's a good phrase, "working the room. I can totally see that when you say that, too. Yes. Um, well, let's let's talk about Jim Guevara's former team, just a team up the road. Sky Blue, they've got two picks in the first round. They had a solid... 2016 but not the 2016 that i think christy holly thought he was going to be able to pull off so if you're sky blue what, what are you looking to get from from those two first round picks
1: well look as you said you know no one expected sky blue to be contending for a playoff spot come september because they went into that season with three or four players that they signed from an open tryout a ever-aging Christy Rampone. You don't know what Kelly O'Hare is going to bring to the table. Sam Kerr, obviously, missing time. And you lost Caitlin Ford, who was always a stalwart for that team for a few years prior. But they got everything and then some out of that group. Sky Blue is the fourth pick and the tenth pick in the first round. There's a lot of questions that come into this team. My big three, is Christy Rampone going to play? continue to play because you know, I don't think she's going to be an allocated player. Right. Will Kelly O'Hara still be with Sky Blue? Um, and then the the third piece that I would have to be is, you know can they continue to get everything out of that group as they did from a year ago? What I think they're going to need is depth. Um, I see them picking a center back early on. And here's the big irony of this draft forwards are stocked midfielders are stocked outside backs are stocked but when all point signs are pointing to kadisha buchanan going overseas um, and one or two players haven't elected to the draft yet uh-huh. the center back position is very very slim right now so maddie bauer is going to be a name you're going to hear a lot a former u.s youth international a very strong player at stanford a first team all-american this year She's right now probably my best center back at the moment, and if she's available, this should be a little doubt pick for me that Sky Blue needs to take her, and then perhaps you go pick off one of the best forwards with your tenth pick.
0: And then you've got Kansas City and Seattle right right in the middle of that uh, that draft slate for 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 the first round. You know, two two contenders. Two well, Kansas City having two national national titles. You know, championship titles um Seattle rain the runner up two years what what are they looking for in those pieces i mean cuz that's just one first round pick these are these are really strong teams and we've seen Laura Harvey build not so much from the draft as from other places though she definitely uses the draft it seems like as a puzzle piece
1: she does, um, you know. She's a coach, obviously, that comes from overseas, not used to, you know, from day one, used to the college game. But she has gotten some very strong players, excuse me, from the college draft, and where they're picking right now, they're currently slotted at the number six spot. I think for me, you look at two things. Obviously, you bring Christine Nairn back into the fold in a much different capacity than you had her in year one in 2013 when she was asked. In the first half of the season to carry the load offensively. And that's something that's very tough to do with a team that, you know, at that time they're waiting for Megan Rapino right. to come back from overseas. You had Hope Solo who was coming off of shoulder surgery. You had a lot of question marks in places that you really. Didn't want to have question marks, but now she can fit nicely right back into the mold. But you're going to have potentially Rachel Corsi missing a portion of the season for the European Championships. You don't know what your goalkeeping situation is going to be. And you obviously lost one of the best players in the world right now in Kim Little. So midfields, midfielders are going to be a big thing to fill. This pick screams Rose Lavelle for me, but here's the thing. I don't think that she drops to six because that is, she's one of the most fun players to watch. She is crafty. She is quick. She can slow the game down if she wants to, and she will enjoy trying to meg somebody and have fun with it. Um, I don't think she drops a 6 though. but if she does, then that's an absolute you have to take her. If not, maybe someone like a Chelsea Drennan from South Carolina who is very solid. This year, and obviously the Gamecocks just continue to keep raising the bar. They're the last undefeated team in college soccer this season. She was a second-team All-American, so those are the two players I keep an eye out for. There.
0: Do you think uh, Laura Harvey would try to trade up to to snag Lavelle?
1: Um. Well, you know they they made the website as Laura Harvey made a trade today. I, <laughs> I don't know if she might. She might. Um, I don't think she does. I don't see much of. Worth in doing that just purely because, well, you're working with 26th and 37th pick after that. Mm. You already have only just 15 players listed on the roster right now. So you don't have many guns to go to left. I I would stay the course. You hope that Lavelle falls. If not, also, I forgot to mention Alexis Schaffer as well, first team All American from Virginia, could very well fall into that category too. So I, I think you stay the course. Um, and you, you hope for the best.
0: And what do you think Vladko Andonofsky is going to do for, for Kansas City? Just one pick in that, in that first round. A pretty tough 2016 for them, though you really saw them second half of the season kind of resurging, and, you know, if the season had been just a little bit longer, you know, who knows what, what Kansas City would have been able to accomplish. But yeah, they got, right. of course, the big question mark of Sidney LaRue, Amy Rodriguez, are they coming back?
1: You know? It's a it's a fair question yeah, because you know. I, I don't think anybody knows. I mean, look, we saw A-Rod already once come back from pregnancy and absolutely kill it yeah. with FCKC. Sydney LaRue, I, that's a bigger question mark for me right now because, you know, I, I can't – it would be disrespectful to say that her star power has kind of faded a little bit. She's a very big player on her day, but she hasn't – really gotten that form that we saw in year one with Boston where she hit for, I think it was 11 goals or something like that for the breakers. So we haven't seen that yet. We can't bank on them doing that. And then you look at what happened last year, four key players that were on the team left in Becky Sauerbrunn, Heather O'Reilly, Desiree Scott, and Katie Bowen. Um, goals just didn't come. Shea Groom was either scoring them or committing big fouls. Um, well, she get I mean she got sent off at least yeah. once. That's yeah. maybe even twice too, or picked up multiple yellow cards. And then you had Yael Averbush playing out of position. He had her playing as a center back, albeit she did it admirably, but she's a creative, maybe sometimes holding midfielder um as opposed to playing as a center back. So, you know, with them being a bit more full strength, you can see them going depth again for bench or for defense. Or do they go and try to nab one of those top strikers? And, you know, they've also done very well in the draft. There is definitely a few candidates up there. Um, I think at that point maybe Stephanie Ribeiro from UConn who bagged nearly 20 goals this season for the Huskies. She's going to be up there. Savannah Jordan, uh, she did elect for the draft. Um, She could be available. So, yeah, there's a couple of players there that I'm going to keep my eye on for them.
0: And then I want to talk a little bit about goalkeepers because it's such a difficult position to figure out, you know, where where they're going to go in the draft. Because obviously you only, you're only carrying two keepers per team. Most teams don't need a keeper. Um, but there are some really quality keepers, uh, you know, coming out of NCAA this season. And we do have a few teams that need keepers, like, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, Seattle. And with uh, Kelsey, Kelsey Wise injured, you know, Spirit might need to look for somebody, you know. So do you think that could come into play in terms of one team trying to take a keeper that another team needs to force a trade or, or yeah, I just really a w- crapshoot?
1: <laughs> I, I wish that we've gotten that cynical by this point by some teams <laughs> taking... No, but seriously, we I, I'm trying to go through the memory banks to see if a team took a player to entice another team. Okay, I maybe answered that question earlier with Steph McCaffrey, but I think both teams have been satisfied in that trade, whether it was Chicago or Boston, of having her. Um, Right now, goalkeepers, they've been very spotty with their success. Usually those are the players that need a year or two as apprentices to kind of learn You know, the -hmm. differences in the college game, the differences between the college game and the pro game. I mean, look, Haley Kotmeyer was the last pick in 2013. I know. She wasn't even a roster player for the most part in that first season, but all of a sudden she's built her way up to, I think she's the number one. And you can go ahead and quote me on it. I think even with Hope Soul, if she does come back, she's the number one goalkeeper for the Seattle Reign, in my book. Uh, What stands out to me, there's two really solid goalies. Jane Campbell from Stanford, obviously a lot of people know her uh, with the U.S. youth systems, played the World Cup both the u- 17s and u 20s, um, got a call-up to the full national team, very quality in Stanford throughout her four years. She's going to be a high priority. Now, Kayleen Sheridan from Clemson, she's a Canadian youth international, but she did elect for the draft, which I thought was very interesting I thought she had an outside chance of being one of those allocated players, mm-hmm. um, which would have obviously saved a team not only having to try and go out and you know clear space for an international player, but have to afford to pay her because she's an international. So, um, yeah, big in- intrigue there. But I think those two are the ones that could be going. Though if there was a dark horse, I got to see her play a couple times in person this year for on my freelance broadcasting work. Diana Poolin from St. John's absolutely smashed every goalkeeping record that program ever had. Wow. She is very technically sound, doesn't do a lot of things wrong, um, nothing flashy, but she could be one of those players that if they're lying deep in the third, early in the fourth, and you need a goalie, I, I would look to her.
0: Any thoughts on uh, Sammy Joe Prudhomme or or Lindsey Harris?
1: Um, You know, again, the Lindsey Harris story has always been intriguing to me because she platooned with Breanne Heberlin for a couple seasons, and Heberlin won the U-20s, or won with the U-20s back in 2012, um, but never really got going. And then all of a sudden we see Harris continue to see her game rise and rise a little bit and command her back line a little bit more i think that this year was her best for north carolina of Mm -hmm. the four do i see her get drafted that's tough because as you said you not many teams need goalkeepers but if if the timing is right yes and i think the same goes for uh sammy joe prudhomme as well is you know she won a national championship she you know had a team that picked up over, well over a dozen clean sheets on the season and basically didn't allow anything throughout the NCAA tournament. So it's one of those, if they're there and the team wants to go for it, do it. But if it's not there, then they're almost better in line of maybe getting one of those uh, camp invites, the outright invites, as opposed to going to an open tryout, because they're definitely worthy of making a camp. That there's no doubt about it. It's just the question of who's got the space.
0: Gotcha. And well, and like we saw last year, it was I think it wasn't until maybe like late in the second round, beginning of the third round that a keeper was finally selected. But once a keeper was selected, it seemed like everybody started taking keepers.
1: Yeah, that's correct. Um, I'm looking through the sheet right now and I've got Britt Eckerstrom. I think she was the first and I think, yeah, Britt Eckerstrom was the first goalie taken at 26 overall. Then you had Abby Smith taking the pick after that uh, by Boston, two picks after that. Caroline Casey, who, by the way, for William & Mary, was a first-team All-American. So it was surprising to see her drop all the way down to 29. Then Madeline Schiffle, who's now back in the States, her rights are traded to Seattle um and then lindsey luke wrapped things out so yeah it was it was the domino effect once eckerstrom got taken then everyone just started saying hey i want keepers so yeah, yeah. but but then again at the same time you only had a handful of them actually really make any you know any appearances in general so it, it, it's always an interesting subject
0: and i think that's you know it, what's so challenging with the rosters just being 20 is that you know Almost no one carries a third keeper. Um, New York kind of did it this past season. But, uh, you know, I'd, I'd really like to see, you know, a, as the league grows, um, we get back to having a 22 or 24 player roster, as we've seen in the past with WSA and WPS at different times, where you were able to have a, a true reserve keeper. Yeah,
1: I think 20, you know, going by almost FIFA standards, mm-hmm. a 23 player roster, you select 18 for the game. I think that's fair. Um because it obviously gives players opportunities to sign contracts. I think in WPS, forgive me if I'm wrong, but they had also developmental contracts too. Correct. So, yeah,
0: WSA did the same thing. Yeah.
1: So, you know, maybe you have some sort of concept of that. I, I don't I think that's almost a little bit of insulting for some players to say, Well, you know, their first teamers, why should they only be signing developmental contracts? But I think if they can up it to twenty three to have the three keepers, at minimum you have to carry twenty because I know in this league it's a minimum of eighteen, max twenty. I think it should be minimum twenty, max twenty-three. Obviously, you have to up the salary cap to do that a little bit, and these are things that are obviously well out of our uh, our our you know where we can influence things. Yeah. Obviously, they're they're good talking points. And if we had the third keeper, then I'd say yeah, then we're going to be seeing more keepers come. But until that happens. Um, it's going to be only just a handful every year drafted,
0: and this is kind of relevant to the draft. But uh, you know, one of those things that that I appreciate about those development contracts in the past is they were most of them were age restricted, right? You know, and yeah, and, yeah. and, and I think um, what was a little strange with the amateur players this year, of course, they didn't use nearly as many, but they still use some. So last year, you know. Th- they used amateurs not nearly as much as they did in 2015, and I thought it was a little strange that Tiffany Weimer, here's a player with a lot of experience, but obviously towards the end of her career, ends up being an amateur for Kansas City. And it got me thinking about WSA and WPS, where they had that developmental contract and was meant for a younger player as a way to work their way into the league. And it's, I feel like if we're going to continue to use amateurs, that I think it would be great if the league would designate you know that it has to be under a certain age this is meant to be it really is meant to be a developmental thing even if it's even if it's an amateur where they're not getting paid i it's it's meant to be a hey this is a way to work your way up not a i don't you know i don't want to sound mean but not a, a, a charity minutes to to a to a really experienced player
1: yeah, it's, you know, and also I think in addition to that, Jen, this comes back to, well, we don't have in the women's game in this country a proper professional second division. We have an right. amateur second division. So right. that's where you can kind of get away with having this. They're not loaned because they're amateurs. You know, if you're loaning right. something, you'd have to pay them. Right. Um, you know, we have one or two professional run you know lower level teams obviously you look into united women's soccer right now i guess you could call you you can call that as the second division if you will we don't have many reserve teams that are saying, well we're going to be run fully as professional we're going to pay players so you could have that loan basis but you know that's where you lose some of those contracts because then you're saying with players like tiff weimer um and others as well experienced veteran players but they can't latch on because you know a team might want to use their 20th slot on a player that just came out of the draft and you know you're not sure if they're going to give something to you or not but you'd rather take the chance there as opposed to going somewhere else so look um that's a that's a discussion for another day because I'd love to see a, a true second division professionally but i don't think that's going to be happening in the next decade or so so um yeah i'm all for expanding the rosters a couple spots just so we can have the mixture of both you know whether it is a the designated age or a designated salary limit whatever have you pick players 21 through 23 should be on the roster and given an opportunity to play professional soccer here in the u.s
0: and you know, hopefully, the league will listen to us and make all of these changes right now. <laughs>
1: and I and I team. will <laughs> and I'll get off my soapbox at that point. But until then, I will be standing right here in some part of the neck of the woods in Connecticut on my little box.
0: <laughs> well, any any last thoughts about about the draft, like how you've seen it evolve over the last few seasons, or
1: well, you know, I love the fact that you know. It went from year one basically in a closed door, everything is just going out on Twitter. To you know, now we're having it in the same exact room or an equal size room as the MLS draft. It's being broadcasted on a platform where people can, you know, they don't have to just wait around on their Twitter, they can actually watch it if they can't get there themselves. Last year, we had great support in person. From the Spirit Squadron coming over now. Obviously, there's no in-team market in LA yet. Um, but, but I think, but
0: I think Portland yeah. and Seattle fans should travel south. Yeah.
1: No, but I'm, I'm not saying that they won't. <laughs> but I'm just saying, you know, we've now come to experience that. Well, we're going to have supporters groups come to drafts, which is something that you see in the MLS because they've had the draft there for you know 15 20 years or so right. you know we're starting to see these things grow and i think that for me is someone who saw it basically in a side room at the you know pennsylvania convention center in philadelphia back in 2014 to the grand ballroom in baltimore last year and i'm i'm pretty sure that it's going to be in another it's not the same room that the mls is going to be held but it's going to be another grand ballroom i mean we're having that you know Prime times, you know, with no other competition going around and here's the big event. So you guys should come and you know, we didn't actually get even a chance to talk really about Western New York, by the way, but who's who owns the second pick and the seventh pick. Just keep an eye out for them going forward because, you know, they're going to be attacking, attacking, attacking all the way. But well, I you, think you the had other...
0: said that earlier. So I figured that, oh, okay. was, that was really enough coverage. Of, like, right, we, enough. Know, we know they're going to go for attack.
1: Oh, they're they're gonna go all out attack. there. the far you're playing on PS4, they're the far right button in terms of a, <laughs> you know, where you want to go. But uh yeah, look, you know, I'm looking forward to and obviously now this year with the draft being in LA with the NSCA convention, we get an entirely new market getting to see this version of the draft for the first time. So hopefully that will continue to build steam to not only getting support elsewhere in other parts of the country, but to potentially Wink, wink, nod, nod. Get a team in LA.
0: Well, and I was I was a little surprised to see some fans asking, like, "Is it free? Do you need tickets? Can fans go?" It's like, yes, yes. Any, anyone can go. Costs you nothing. Just go to the Marriott LA Live in downtown LA. Just and, walk, and, and, walk right uh, in. There's a section for fans. And in know?
1: past conventions too, all you have to say is, "I'm going to insert draft," and yes. they will. And they won't charge you for yeah. a convention fee. You're allowed to go in there because usually the drafts are held right in the front entrance or right by the front entrance. So, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to see some good support out there, and it's going to be nice to see all the, uh, all the media folk. It's a very big East-based, you know, WOSO media folk. So I'm curious to see who's going to be joining me in a long cross-country flight out west.
0: Well, and it's been a long time since NSCAA has had uh, a conference west of the Mississippi. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. They, they, for a while, they were rotating between Baltimore, Philly, Indianapolis, and Kansas City, just going around those four. They eventually, I think, cut out Indianapolis. Um, and they have them scheduled for the next 10 years, which is why, like, last January, I was like, oh, sweet, next year will be in L.A. You know, But the bulk of them are on the East Coast just because the bulk of you know, their their membership yes. is on the yes. East Coast. The bulk of the media is on the East Coast. But I was really excited to, to see this being on the West Coast, not just for the weather, but also um, knowing that it's very likely there will be a U-23 camp at the same time. So we shouldn't have to have a situation like we did the last two years with Emily Sonnet and Morgan Bryan having to send in a video saying, you know, thanks for picking me number 1 that we should see we should see many more bodies of people the, uh, actually register for draft actually there
1: the the awkward thank you for looks down at card team who selected <laughs> me to go to no but yeah i i'm looking forward to that and i know you are talking with folks in and around the NWSL that they're going to be doing their utmost best to get as many players, the ones, and this is something that I actually learned, um, anybody that gets, I think, an All-American nod in college, uh, they, you get invited to go out there and I think that the NSCAA covers part of, if not all, of like your flight out there. So, with, as I said, the numbers, there's 27 senior All-Americans this year. So far as we know, 19 are going to be going into the draft. So, Hopefully, we get to see all those, all 19 of those, plus maybe a few more uh, there as well. So that that's another thing to keep an eye on.
0: And you've got uh, some big pre-draft coverage coming, right?
1: Yes. Yeah, so um, you know, coming in the next week or so prior to the NWSL draft, you go on uh, ourgamemag.com. That's our game magazine's online website where you can go check out. Um, all of our pre-draft coverage we're gonna have some post-draft coverage we're gonna get interactive as everybody is on social media so uh, make sure to stay tuned i know that our uh, managing editor brandy ortega is super excited that we get to go out to Brandyland this year because she lives <laughs> in the greater la area so she gets a drive well actually no she said the traffic is as advertised is as horrible out in LA as everyone says so I think she'll be staying locally but it'll it'll be nice to have uh, for us at least someone that's based out there for sure
0: well JJ thanks so much for all your insight and and background on the draft and I know I will be seeing you out in LA
1: yes appreciate y'all having me on
0: All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Allison Lee, a freelance writer for Once a Metro and also Equalizer Soccer, who's done a lot of great coverage of the women's college game this fall. Um, Allison, tell me just a little bit about how you started writing uh, about women's soccer.
2: Well, I actually got into it through Twitter. Um, A friend of mine saw a tweet from Once a Metro asking for writers to cover Sky Blue. And... I do not live in New Jersey. I'm actually in Alabama. And so I asked, <laughs> would it, would it be possible to cover remotely? And they said, yeah, sure, not a problem. Um, they're mainly a Red Bulls New York MLS site. And so a lot of them with the coverage they have been trying to do before, uh, were remote as well. So, um, started writing for them right before the, uh, 2016 preseason started. And uh, around Labor Day, I guess, um, I got invited to write for Equalizer, mainly doing uh, NWSL recaps. And then going into the NCAA season, we were looking to expand coverage. And right before the conference tournaments kicked off, actually, is when I came on board to help write and cover for uh, NCAA soccer. Had you followed NCAA soccer much before then? I actually had, um, I live near Auburn university Mm
3: -hmm. and
2: being a soccer fan, pretty much all my life, I was able to go to several of their home games when it didn't conflict with the NWSL season Mm -hmm. and get to watch some live college soccer. Uh, the season I got to go to, um, their tournament against USC and I believe it was Illinois state. I got to go see, then played Tennessee and the first round home match of the NCAA tournament as well. So um, it's it's always been more as a fan following uh, college soccer, but then right before conference play, I, I got to start writing about it as well and really kind of take it to to the next level. Well,
0: and that's great to have somebody with eyes on the ground for. For those kind of games, I mean, it's I I think it's funny that uh, you were remote for Sky Blue, but you were able to do <laughs> you know in in person coverage right. for the, for the NCAA tournament, and of course Auburn had uh, a, a great season, upsetting Florida right in the in
2: the tournament. Right. Yes, what? and um, it was the first time that they had made it to the Elite Eight, and um, an outstanding season season with the Ramsey sisters leading the helm um, with Kristen Dodson, who's a junior, so she'll be back next season. Um, it was just a really great season, a historic season for them and, and getting to be there and especially during the first round of the NCAA tournament um, and getting to see the excitement of them and you know their families and whatnot was, uh, was a really fun experience. Um, hate that they fell to USC, obviously, but it it does make it hurt a little bit less that USC did go on to uh to win their second national championship this year. So
0: yeah, you can always say that 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 you were ousted by the champion. So there's there's a little right. little little point of respect to that. Well, so right, t- exactly. tell me about the you know the NCAA tournament overall this season. Um, just you know who. <laughs> who really stood out for who stood out for you? And and do you think uh, you know USC was the deserved champion? I think a lot of us expected that West West Virginia, you know, ranked number one for most of the season, was going to you know finally pull off that that title. I mean, that was their first time getting to the Final Four. But um, I mean, right. it, it, in a way, to me, USC was kind of a surprise. They hadn't been to the Final Four since they had won it all in two thousand seven, and and that was their first trip then. So. You know, what right. what, are, what are your thoughts about how the the Final Four played out?
2: You know, um, I honestly, my money was on West Virginia. I, I thought that the way they had been playing throughout the tournament looked much more consistent and cohesive overall. USC, you know, they seemed a little sluggish at times and, and seemed to have some difficulty. And the way that they played against Georgetown in the, the Final Four kind of made me worried about them facing uh West Virginia based on just those final four those semifinal matches you know I had West Virginia not necessarily blowing USC out of the water but I thought they would win by multiple goals and then USC gets to the College Cup final and it's like the spark that they had previously in the season just came back and you know Morgan Andrews started off with an early goal to kind of you know set the momentum but they went back to struggling in the first half and didn't even get a shot off in the final 30 minutes of the first half second uh, second half of that match was like a brand new ball game and you know i really thought after the way that they even played in the first half it was it was going to go to west virginia but they came out and played some of their best soccer all year and kind of surprised, I think pretty much all of, uh, all of college soccer fans out there with that win. And, but, um, and I, I think the stock. they definitely deserved it.
0: And raised the stock oh, definitely. for, you know, Morgan Andrews and, and Mandy Freeman and Kayla Mills going into the draft. And, and also, um, Sammy Joe Prudhomme had just such an amazing yes. game and goal like when I was watching that and really thinking that West Virginia was going to be able to come back but once the second half like watching Sammy Joe, was like nah she's got this game this is this oh yeah is, this is her game I, I
2: think that that was arguably the game of her life so far mm-hmm. um just in the final four in the uh semifinals uh, some of my friends who are also uh, writers for the NWSL were talking about how they thought she might be a little overrated as a goalkeeper, even though she was the Pac-12, you know, goalkeeper of the year and all of that. But, I mean, she, she silenced a lot of her critics, if not all of them, in that second half with the big saves that she was able to make for, for USC to keep West Virginia to the lone goal.
0: Well and and to be able to have that national platform to have a game like that to have the exposure as we're going into this draft where you know Washington Spirits probably looking you know with with Kelsey Wise having that interesting injury mm-hmm. um with Seattle you know sure they have solo's rights but we probably won't see solo back so they, they they've got to find somebody right. to back up Kotmeyer. you know she could have just written her own ticket you know and One of the things that I thought was really interesting um, thinking back on that match um, of the, the three goal scores or four goals, but of course uh, Katie Johnson had two of the goals, two of the three goal scores Mm -hmm. are not Americans. Well, Katie Johnson's American, but she plays for the Mexico national team. She's cap tied to the Mexico national team. So it's just, I'm sure there are a lot of people thinking, Oh, Katie Johnson should play for the U S national team. It's like, Nope, she can't, (laughs) you know,
2: exactly. And, and people were saying that, you know, people were asking even about Kadisha Buchanan and Ashley <laughs> Lawrence. If, if they, you know, why haven't they been called up by Jill Ellis? And I'm like, yeah, they're they're they, Olympic bronze medalists with Canada. Like, yeah. they, they can't play for us.
0: But it's it's nice to have those avenues where where people are asking that, and you're like, hey, did you watch the Olympics? Did you did you watch the Women's World Cup? <laughs> like,
2: exactly. We might
0: want to see those players. You know. But uh you know we know that it's unlikely that Khadisha Buchanan's going to go through the draft um you know we're we're hearing a lot that uh you know she's looking elsewhere it's it's unclear about Ashley Lawrence um you know well, there's, there there's also there's
2: been, Go ahead. There's been some some tweets today that are pretty much confirming Lawrence to PSG so it looks like she's most likely going overseas as well.
0: Yeah, and and that's lots of good gossip out there, and we'll just have to wait for the you know the the, right. final, the final announcement. Um, but in a way, it's not a surprise. I mean, once once I heard that Kude- Kude- uh, excuse me, Kadisha was not really considering NWSL, and also seeing that in 2016 we saw a lot of uh, Canadian internationals move out of the league. You know, like, like Melissa Tancredi. Um, you know, it's it's. They, they got to do what's best for them. I mean, for me, it is a right. loss. It is a loss for the league, but at, but at the same time, it's it's like, hey, you know, the, the player gets to make that choice. The great thing is she has a choice and these players are young enough. I mean, it's crazy to think how young Khadisha is with all the international experience under her belt, where fine, she plays a season there or half a season really because they run, you know, fall, fall to spring. And, and maybe it's not what she wants you know, then, right. Then, you know, then you've got an opportunity to come back into the league. Um, so it'll, it'll be interesting to see, see how that plays out. Um, looking at uh, the other USC players uh, like Morgan Andrews, who, you know, three, four or five years ago was such a big name, you know, in the, in the youth circles. And of course we were always getting her confused with Morgan Bryan. And then it just kind of <laughs> went kind of, then it kind of went quiet, you know, and, boom, boy, did she reannounce her presence with authority. You know, so, I, again, another player whose stock, I think, has, has has skyrocketed. And knowing that we probably won't see Buchanan or Lawrence's names on the board at the draft um, coming up, that, you know, maybe Morgan Andrews is the number one pick. What, what are your thoughts about that?
2: I could easily see her going as the number one pick. Definitely a first-round pick. Um, you mentioned how we heard a lot about her for a while, especially in the youth circuit, and then it went quiet and she, she transferred from uh, Notre Dame to USC after her uh, sophomore season. And I really feel like it was at USC where she kind of really fell into her groove. I feel like she had a stronger team around her to help her accomplish the, the goals that she was striving for. And I think that's a major reason why she was as successful this season as, um, as she has been. I mean, she had 22 goals in just two seasons at USC. Um, She's tied this season for most goals for them with 10. Um, She's, she's a Matt Kerman trophy finalist. Mm -hmm. So I, I think, you know, those things combined with the fact that she's now a national champion Uh, I think definitely have majorly increased her draft stock. And if she's not the number one pick, she's definitely going to go in the first round and will be an asset in the attack to any team that takes her. And then let's, let's
0: talk about the, the teams, uh, the players closer to home for you. So like the Ramsey sisters playing for Auburn or Savannah Jordan playing, playing for, for Florida, you know, what, what do you think their, their draft stock is right now?
2: I love the Ramseer Twins. Um, You know, of course, Auburn fan and getting to watch them live uh, was just, you know, it made it even better that they were playing for my team, for my alma mater. They have, I think, increased their draft stock, um, but as far as with their performance on the field, but I've heard comments and seen articles uh, recently coming out where it looks like you know, they're uncertain as to whether or not they'll actually declare. Both of them had already graduated from college and are in grad school. Um, So, you know, that may be something that they're looking at as more of, do I go and play professional soccer or do I continue with my master's degree and go on out and get a career? And I think that uncertainty and the comments that they, you know, the fact that they've been vocal about it may actually have hurt their draft stock as well. Um, however, just by their performance on the field, I think that they had a great NCAA tournament. Um, both of them had tournament goals, uh, including game winning goals. Brooke Ramsey is deadly on set pieces.
3: Mm-hmm. The
2: Takes a lot of them for Auburn, whether it's throw-ins, corner kicks, free kicks, you name it. She scored off of um, some free kicks that were just beautiful goals. Um, But I think her sister Casey is actually the stronger of the two. She has more goals. Um, Brooke has 16 career goals. Casey has 37. Um, However, Brooke has 26 assists. And I think that's, you know, with set pieces, Brooks, you know, kind of forte is assisting, whereas Casey is more of the finisher. Um, she also has 19 career assists, though. So, I mean, she, she can do it both. And I, I do think that she is the stronger of the two sisters. Um, she was on the Matt Kerman Trophy watch list. She's, um, she's an or NFCAA All-American. So I do think she's the stronger of the two. I think she would be more successful uh, in the NWSL than Brooke would be. But Mm -hmm. I think both of them could, you know, be strong attacking players in the midfield for teams that are really looking for that, especially.
0: Now, did you watch the NCAA tournament last year? Did you watch the final?
2: I did, yes.
0: Because we have, you know, two players from that final who, you know, are, are likely in the draft, Christina Gibbons and Tony Payne from from Duke, you know, do you, right. do, you do you think they've got a shot at, at going in the first round?
2: You know, I've seen uh, people who have projected both of them to go in the first round. I think Christina Gibbons' stock is a little bit higher than Tony Payne's is,
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, just because, you know, she doesn't have as many goals because... She also played as a defender, um, but she got pushed up into the midfield and has been very successful there uh, for Duke. And she just won the senior class award this year. uh, And I really think she was extremely deserving of that award. Um, She was the Matt Kerman Trophy semifinalist this year as well. So I think she's really elevated her game, even just since last year's final. And so I do think that even though Duke didn't have the greatest NCAA tournament this year, um, I mean, they did advance well. They struggled against some teams um, and only lost to West Virginia in the Elite Eight. Um, I do think that she she's really increased her stock this year. Tony Payne, you know, she has been outstanding for Duke in their attack. Um, she... The player that I enjoyed getting to watch last year, uh, especially in in that final match, she's just very resilient. She has a way of finding opportunities on goals that other players may not. And even when the defense put pressure on her, she, she would find a way to make opportunities either for herself or for teammates happen. So I really like both of them. I think Gibbons might have a better chance of going earlier than Tony does. But um, I do think that both of them should go early in the draft.
0: And, of course, it all depends on, you know, as as the draft goes through the, the picks, like which club needs what kind of player. You know, you may be Absolutely. such an incredible forward, but the team that's up next needs a defender. So, you know, it's always fascinating to see how that, falls out. Um, let's talk about a couple other forwards, you know, who were kind of names this year, Ashley Hatch, who got her first cap with the U S national team in October, uh, you know, coming out of BYU and also Nichelle Prince for, for Ohio state, another Canadian who is probably more likely to, to go through the draft and, and, and not go over to Europe. But again, another one of those many young Canadians who already have, a lot of international experience under their belt, thanks to, you know, John Herdman bringing in so many youth over the last year, you know, to, prepet- to, to prep for, for the Olympics. So thoughts on Ashley Hatch and, and Nichelle Prince?
2: Well, like you said, both of them do have national team experience with both of their, you know, respective national teams. Um, I think that that really has, Help their stock, even though um, Ashley Hatch only had one cat and um, she didn't start. She was subbed in, so limited minutes there. But um, I do think that having experience at that level is something that's going to make them stand apart. Um, even though, you know, both of them are great collegiate players, knowing that they have been exposed to training with some of the top players in the world that they have experienced competition at those levels um, really kind of helps. I would think uh, NWSL clubs feel more confident in their ability to compete at a professional level. You know, I did a lot of features with the rookies for sky blue this year. And one of the things we always talked about was the transition from collegiate play to professional soccer. And right. they would talk about how, you know, it, they struggled for a while, uh, with the speed, with, you know, the physicality of it, with all of that. And, and so I think that having an experience, not necessarily at the professional level, but at the international level, however limited it may be, is something that will be very beneficial and appealing to them as far as in the eyes of, uh, NWSL coaches. Um, Ashley Hatch, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit more weary of her than um, some of the others that are projected to go in the first round, uh-huh. just because you know she she has had um, a couple of injuries. She missed, I think it was eight matches her junior season with a fractured knee, but she's bounced back from that. Um, she's top five in the nation in points per game, goals per game, points goals. I mean, top ten and game winning goals. I mean she. She's at the top in almost every category for attackers. Um, I think she looked a bit more nervous when she was on the field with the U.S. women's national team than some of the others, like Andy Sullivan, uh, were when they were on the field. But, you know, that that is probably, you know, just first cap jitter. She was in front of her college team, in front of her, you know, college town. Right. And I think that's something that she, you know she'll easily be able to put past her and move on to, but I know some people aren't aren't sold on her yet uh because they're basically because of that performance and they're afraid she won't be able to translate to the next level, but I do think that she definitely has the potential to be um extremely effective at the professional level.
0: Well, and of course, what we can't see is what her performance was like in camp that that week that the whole team was together in October. And, And I would think that, you know, any of the NWSL coaches that are interested in Ashley Hatch would probably be talking to Jill Ellis or anyone with U.S. soccer, you know, camp going, hey, how did she look? How did she feel? Or, you know, or even asking the players that played with her. It's like, how'd she do in camp, you know, because that's just as important you know it's like was it someone who had a good attitude in practice um could they keep up with everything you know what well, you know how did how did they fit in you know i think and it's the, those things that we can't see you know we only got that glimpse of her in you know in a us uniform um so it it'll be interesting to see where she falls in the draft and then of course we've got some other um youth national teamers um who have both been in camp With the full national team, but have never gotten a a senior cap, at least not yet. Uh, Jane Campbell coming out of Stanford, uh, goalkeeper, and also Rose Lavelle, midfielder from Wisconsin, um, who, you know, could end up being a, a number one pick as well. Um so these are players right. with, you know, considerable youth national team experience. The names are so well known, you know, like I said Jill has called them in, they just haven't been been capped yet. So so what are your thoughts on on Jane and Stanford season and and Rose Lavelle and Wisconsin?
2: Well, both of those players are ones that I have been just fascinated to watch over the past couple of years. Um especially Jane Campbell knowing that she was first called up, I believe, in 2013, when uh, Tom Sermani was leading the U.S. Women's National Team. And then I was very excited to see her get called back up uh, recently with the team, Um, especially since, you know, even before the Hope Solo situation happened, you know, it was uncertain whether she could go another cycle or not. And, you know, a lot of people with the ages of Alyssa Nair and Ashlyn Harris are, uncertain if they're going to be the long-term kind of replacement for Hope Solo or if they're going to be looking more for a younger goalkeeper to step in and take over the reins. And, you know, a lot of people were surprised that Sammy Joe Prudhomme got the Pac-12 player or goalkeeper of the year over Jane Campbell, Uh, but she did have the better of the two seasons. Jane uh, does have, um, to me, a more composed um, presence in front of goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that, you know, she doesn't make, make necessarily like the, the bigger saves as well as Sammy Jo does. Um, but I do think that she definitely has a lot of potential, uh, especially, you know, with having national team experience and whatnot. Um, she didn't get capped, as you mentioned, but she did also leave camp early uh, so she could return to Stanford right. and uh, continue playing with them, especially as it was getting into postseason play, which, you know, I it is the player's choice, but I, I do respect that and kind of admire that, you know, that choice that she did want to go back and help her collegiate team get as, as far as they could. Um I know that when Stanford lost to Santa Clara in the national uh, tournament, that was a major upset in a lot of people's eyes and they just, they didn't have a good game. Um, They kind of fell apart all over the place and, you know, it wasn't one player's fault by any means, but, um, you know, Campbell let that one goal by and, you know, that's all it takes at that, you know, that point in the, In the postseason.
0: Right. right.
2: Rose LaBelle, though, she, I mean, she's one that a lot of people have been predicting to be the number one pick. Um, She's, you know, a couple of different groups around the country have her ranked um, as the number one or in at least in the top five players in the country right now. And um, I, I think she's definitely going to be a first round pick. Uh, Campbell, I'm not so sure she'll be first round just because like we've mentioned, while there are some teams that are going to be looking for a goalkeeper, whether, you know, for a starting or a backup there, you know, you don't see a first round pick go for a goalkeeper very often. Right. So she might be a later pick, but Rose Lavelle, I think will definitely go in the, in the first round. And I think a lot of people will be shocked if she doesn't.
0: One of the things that we saw last year with goalkeepers is that it really wasn't until I think maybe late in the second round or beginning of the third round that a team took a keeper, but once they did, like mm-hmm. everybody else started taking keepers.
2: <laughs> so, right.
0: if, so It's like, okay, okay. It's time for the keepers. Yeah. And that's, that's always a challenge because you know, teams are only carrying two really. So, um, and most of the teams don't, don't need a keeper. So that's, it's a challenging, uh, place to be in but I'd be surprised if of course she wasn't taken at all Um, right well outside from from those players that we talked about is there anybody else you know on the draft landscape that 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 you think uh, we need to talk about
2: Uh, you mentioned her briefly but we haven't talked about her Savannah Jordan Mm -hmm. um, you know I've, I've heard rumors about whether or not she'll actually declare for the draft but I think she's one I mean you can't talk about collegiate players and not talk about Savannah Jordan. And luckily, you know, being in the sec, she was a player that I got to follow along with a lot. And although I didn't get to see her play live because Auburn played in Gainesville this year, um, it was just amazing getting to watch her, uh, play for Florida. Um, she has 81 career goals. Um, she trails only Abby Wambach in goals for both Florida and the SEC, which I mean, when the only person above you is Abby Wambach, that's, you know, that's pretty impressive.
0: Pretty impressive. Um, Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, when you're in the same sentence as her, you know, and you played at the same school, that's, that's really saying a lot. Um, I really think that she has what it takes to play at the professional level. Um, She was called up to national team camp but turned it down, um, presumably to focus on postseason play with Florida. Mm -hmm. Um, So she has been getting, you know, attention at that level. And I do think that um, she just has a way of, again, creating opportunities. She's a workhorse. She has so much power she can not only take shots that other players might be hesitant to take, but she can capitalize on those and finish those for goals. Um, She is a player that has to kind of do that because a lot of teams, you know, they have her number. They put multiple players, you know, marking her every single game. And yet she's still able to, slip past them, break, you know, break through the defense and get shots on goal. And I, I do think that she is someone who could be very successful um, at the next level. I hope that she does declare for the draft because I'd love to see her continue playing here.
0: And we should see um a preliminary draft list early next week, of course we're taping today on Friday the thirtieth and this is, this isn't going to come out till the third, but by the time this comes out, there should at least be a preliminary draft list and of course, players can declare for the draft as late as the day before, so they have till january eleventh but of course if you're really serious i you know. I think you would have already been, you know, you're probably gonna be declaring that first week of January if you haven't already, so that, you know, we know that the coaches start talking to the players, you know, and yeah. It'll it'll be I mean, I keep saying it, but it'll be really interesting to see how this falls out. I, I really enjoyed you know, covering the draft in person last year, being part of that broadcast and just, you know, it's like who's on the clock and who's going to take what and trying to guess beforehand, who's going to fall where. And, and of course, there's always that last minute big trade or switcheroo or, you know, U S <laughs> soccer announcement or, or, or something like that. But, uh, you know looking forward to it again this year and allison you know thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us and it's it's so great to know that uh you know equalizer and once a metro has has a has a you know experienced qualified soccer writer especially someone that can see these games in person from a place where we're, we're normally not getting you know a lot of soccer coverage
2: well thank you very much for having me jen and um absolutely yeah
0: All right, time to wrap it up with the back four. First, the Mac Herman Trophy announcement will be this Friday, January 6th, ceremony being held in St. Louis. The ceremony might uh, be viewable uh, via live stream, so check check out machermantrophy.org for details. The three finalists for the Women's Award are Morgan Andrews of USC, Kadisha Buchanan of West Virginia, and Andy Sullivan of Stanford. And then on Monday, the FIFA Awards will stream live on YouTube. You can check out FIFA.com for more details. For the Women's Award, Carly Lloyd is in the final three, along with Germany's Melanie Berenger and Brazil's Marta. And the Women's Coaching Finalists include Jill Ellis, Sylvia Nide, and Pia Sundaga. After all that excitement, you'll want to keep the buzz going with the live broadcast of the 2017 NWSL Draft on Thursday, January 12th. The draft begins at noon on the West Coast, so that's a 2 p.m. start time, central time, and 3 p.m. on the East Coast. Just like last year, coverage will stream live on YouTube, and I can promise it will be even bigger and better this time. And if you're anywhere near L.A., you can attend the draft for free. It's being held at the Marriott L.A. Live in downtown Los Angeles, open to the public, so if you're anywhere near, you should drop by meet some of your favorite new NWSL players. And last but not least, if you missed uh, the 12 days of WOSO shopping list that I posted, you can check it out on KeeperNotes.com. Great mix of apparel, books, posters, videos, and so much more uh, in terms of WOSO shopping. And you know, there's no reason just because it's after the holidays to not buy yourself a treat. All right, that's it for the first episode of 2017 for the Mix Zone. We'll be back next week with more draft coverage, and as always, big thanks to PK Ray for making this podcast possible.
3: But now she's everybody's girl. Well, you know she's everybody's girl.